Wing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Good morning, my Bruin brothers and sisters. Happy New Year! <laughs> yep, we're starting off 2007 with a bang. Yeah, American, American barley wine. Happy New Year! <laughs> Sorry. I too, waited a long, long time for that, dude. <laughs> I missed you. I missed you too, John. Yeah. It's uh, It's been a while, and uh, we're we're kicking off a, a, a great year of uh, shows. If you go to www.thebrewingnetwork.com, go to the Jamil page, you'll see the list of the shows for 2007 that are coming up, and you'll see we got a nice full schedule. We're not taking any time off. We're, we're getting them all done, and uh, you can also download the 2006 shows. There's quite a bit there. God. Whole nother year. Oh yeah. So I wanted to kick this this uh, show off uh, talking about something very dear and special to me, which is uh, John. Yes, is uh, he has won the California Home Brewer of the Year, the Sierra Nevada, uh, Sierra Nevada Brewing uh, Home Brewer of the Year Award, yeah. which is uh, difficult. It's uh, uh, three competitions: the May Fair, the California State Fair, and the uh, California uh, Homebrew uh, Competition down in Stern Grove. And John uh, whipped uh, some some butt in that, and has uh, won a, a very tricky award. Yeah. And he gets to go up to Sierra Nevada and brew with them for the day and hang out with them. And I guess and I could call, I should probably call him about that, huh? Yeah, give him a call. They're real cool guys. Okay. They'll they'll be like, ah, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, you just kind of tell them when, and, and they'll come up unless there's something really bizarre happening, what or if they're out of town. One of the guys is out of town that you want to see. Nice. Well, it was a lot of brewing. I brewed a lot of beer. Yeah, yeah. Brewed a lot of good beer, obviously. Yeah, two and a half years worth of brewing yeah. to, to prep for this takes takes a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I did it a couple times, and that's a lot of freaking work. <laughs> and I'm very very good friends with my counter pressure bottle filler. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you, know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so congratulations! Thank son. you. I'm very proud of you. I think you put in a lot of hard work, and it clearly shows. In, and I'm in done. Here. <laughs> That's pretty much my feeling after yeah. I uh, achieved similar things. A lot of, uh, of attaboy, fitty G's, and way to go, chicken boy. Sweet. For you. And the chicken boy comes through. I'll wow. give him a bok bok. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to cover is uh, over the... Uh, past couple of weeks, there's, uh, Linda Stark is uh, suffering from a uh, terrible form of lung cancer, and uh, the Brewing Network has been drawing, uh, uh, holding drawings and uh, contests and stuff, and uh, generating a lot of donations to give directly to Linda. And uh, we took part in that, and we were donating a six-pack of beer to, to anybody over a $10 donation and a, a brew session where you can come out to my house, and I'll provide the ingredients, and we'll brew some beer uh, for anybody who donated over 50 bucks. Sweet. So we're going to do the drawing for that on the show. We actually get to do something on the we'll show. We get to draw something. Talk yeah. about beer. Cool. So, John, you want to... Uh, Pick one Pick from one. each bowl. Okay. I was going to do it, but then I looked at the names and I thought, oh, yeah, this person seems uh, like somebody I'd have over at my house or somebody who wasn't. So the winner for the brew session is Damien Carini. Okay, Damien. Well done, Damien. 
uh, email me, email. Damien. There you go. <laughs> for the six-pack of beer? Six-pack of beer. We'll, uh, we'll email him also to make and sure. And we'll email him also, and they'll somehow they'll let me know what's happening. Uh-oh. Ross Lanalo. Ross Lanalo. Lanalo. Is the winner of the six-pack of beer. Yeah. the winner of the six-pack. So uh, somebody will give me his shipping information, and I will uh, get that beer out. There you go. How is her health doing, do you know? Uh, not so great. Oh. Uh, she had two treatments in Germany, and uh, they're holding off on doing a third. Uh, and this is what she needed the money for. It's $15,000 of treatment. Insurance does not cover it. Wow. They had pretty much exhausted all the options in the U.S. Uh. So now they've gotten to a point where they're doing some other really radical experimental thing on her. Wow. But she's just a really sweet person who's helped a lot of uh, brewers, professional and amateur. And uh, if we can do something just to kind of help out and yeah. make this experience a little less horrible, yeah, would be nice. A lot of us have had uh, loved ones uh, die from mm-hmm. cancer, so and like it's, five, it's nice to know. <laughs> that yeah. five passed away yeah. pretty hardcore. Yeah, really, really sucks. Well, we love you, Linda. Hang in there. All right, so now for my my uh, complaint of the week. <laughs> on the more petty things. <laughs> on the more petty things. <laughs> In my world, <laughs> yeah, I am being troubled by a lot of requests for uh, recipes for future shows. Mm-hmm. Now, all the, the recipes for the existing shows, if you go to thebrewingnetwork.com, Scroll down to the bottom of the uh, list of shows. There's a link. It'll take you a page. has all the recipes in in ProMash format and HTML and text. And uh, Fred Bonjour has done a great job in getting this organized for us. And you get all those recipes. But, you know, don't look at the list of shows and say, oh, yeah, I really don't want to wait for, you know, September to find out this recipe and, you know, email. Hey, send me this recipe. Send me that recipe. Time was I, I could have done that, but I've... Doing so many things, I'm getting so many requests yeah. in right now. I'm gonna have to hold off on that. Well, so I'm sorry, but you're gonna have to wait for the upcoming show. I got a great idea. Yes, buy a book. <laughs> yes. Go to go to. I a, buy a book. No, no, no. Whoever's emailing you, yes. buy a book. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. go to homebrew shop. Uh-huh. Talk to them. They uh-huh. have recipes. They'll uh-huh. give them out to you. Uh-huh. You know, or go to bjcp.org. <laughs> print out the whole guidelines and use your imagination. Right. Well, and. I think the interesting point of this is there are a lot of great recipes out there. Mm-hmm. You know, the recipes that we come up with are, are are very good. They're excellent. But there's also a lot of other excellent recipes out there. Uh, like mine. Know, like your recipes, uh, Joe Formanek, uh, uh, you know. Uh, Ray Daniels. Yeah, and I'm leaving out a ton of people. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, you know, Mike McDowell, uh, a lot of people with a lot of great recipes. Try one of those. Uh, if you need a recipe right away, give give one of those a shot and see you know, see what see what that comes out. And then when when the show comes up, you know, brew that and see you know have some comparison, and uh, you know you'll learn a lot from that as well. Mm-hmm. So really sorry to have to do it, but if I do all the recipe stuff, then I have to uh, not answer some of the questions, the brewing related questions, which so are more important, sense. of course. Yeah, that's harder sometimes. To, and it depends what the question is. Sometimes it's harder to get that information, which is... Uh, well, you're already more than generous enough to even give out your recipes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't I mean, mind, but... Uh, so I feel kind of bad about it, but I gotta, I, I, I gotta ask that people don't request future recipes. Right. Uh, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's just stick with the schedule and that's about as fast as I can get them out there, I think, because yeah. I have to, you know, reformat them and everything. Well, we have a whole, like a whole other two years to go, so. <laughs> yeah, we'll get them all out there. Eventually you'll have them all for free. Won't cost you a thing, uh, except maybe some internet connection. So I'm ready for 2007, are you? I am. Yeah. I'm feeling and, good. uh, 
you know, we are kicking off with American Barley Wine, which is one of the big, bold uh, American uh, styles of beer. And if you're in the San Francisco area around February 17th, they're doing the uh, Barley Wine Festival. Which you have which to is to, yeah. really pretty incredible thing uh, at the Toronado in uh, San Francisco. It's on Haight Street, and mm-hmm. right across the street, the, the judging's happening. I'll be down there for the judging. Uh, a lot of lot of other guys will be out there. People come from all over the country for this thing, and they have this incredible. You can taste the winners at the Toronado across the street, and they have just tons of barley wines and a lot of other great beers. Mm-hmm. And you'll meet tons of. Uh, Beer connoisseurs. Beer connoisseurs and home brewers and judges and and, uh, all sorts of uh, people you might have heard of. But you need to tell them a little bit more detail, though. You're drinking barley wine at, what, 9 a.m. in the morning? Yes. Yeah, and get there early on the first day, right? Right, you get there early. And there's there's not just this. There's parties. There's, uh, you know, the anchor party. There's uh, the celebrator party. There's, you know, going around all these different, uh, you know, pubs with uh, people you'll meet there. It is an incredible time. They, the strong ale month or something is also going on at that time where wow. p- certain pubs in San Francisco have uh, this uh, strong ale thing going on and you go take a tour and, you know, 21st Amendment's in on this. You, you drink like these 10 strong beers and you get like a special tattoo on your forehead or something. Wow. Of a watermelon. Of a watermelon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A strong watermelon. So take Muni or get a DD, you know. Yeah, and it's Bart, it's it's, I mean, it's a blast, and yeah. the whole crowds are going from one location to another, so you can just kind of tag along. It's uh, just incredible. So if you're out there, it's uh, around February seventeenth that weekend is uh, the barley wine festival. And if you get a chance, you can come out and really taste some incredible barley wines. So we're talking about American barley wine. Tell us about American barley wine, John. Well, it depends who brews it. It's one, but American mm-hmm. barley wine should have a lot more hops than an English style. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the visually it should be copper and ant, dark amber in color mm-hmm. um darker than an IPA though mm-hmm. i mean there there's people kind of screw up a double IPA versus a barley wine you got to make sure it's very very malty mm-hmm. rich in malt aroma uh that's a good point you know the double IPA isn't that malty it's drier right right, right. so right. barley wine sh- should be just yeah. all malt mm-hmm. you know and you add so much hops to a barley wine anyways to balance out the sweetness mm-hmm. and a more american barley wine you want a lot of hops mm-hmm. and a lot of malt i mean i don't can you really even really overdo a hop addition in the barley wine i i don't know if you could yeah i i think it is possible okay it's actually in my notes, right? Uh, what else? You can overhop a barley wine. I have right there. You, you can. See? We'll get to that later. <laughs> See, we're connected. Yeah, there we are. Um, other than that, it's just a lot of malt and a lot of hops, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, common problem I found with homebrewers is there's usually an imbalance. It's either too malty or too cloyingly sweet, mm-hmm. or it's overly hopped and too dry. Mm-hmm. So the trick is getting a balance between the two. Right. And ferment it well. Strong yeast, four to six weeks, obviously, in the primary. Mm-hmm. Don't have any diacetyl. So probably the more common problem is that they're too sweet. <coughs> Wait, that's, yeah. Most, most they're not pitching are way, way too sweet. Yeah, yeah they're, they're not pitching enough. Or the grain bill has too much crap in it. Like, or is it like a crystal 15, like too much or something? Yeah, way, way too much. Yeah. Uh, way, people overdo all the specialty malts. They end up with, uh, you know, they're throwing in the kitchen sink type of thing. Kitchen mm-hmm. sink beer. So I see this a lot on the style of beer. And when you're, when you're going with a smaller beer, 
you know, you can add a lot more specialty malts because it doesn't become as cloying. When you have a bigger beer like this and you add a lot of specialty malts, you can end up with quite a cloying uh, sensation, mm-hmm. and it, it just becomes overwhelming. So you have to use some uh, restraint in the malts. Uh, yeah, it's it's a lot maltier and uh, uh, sweeter and uh, bigger than a double IPA. I think that's an excellent comparison mm-hmm. that you brought up. You know, where those those you actually uh, you need them a little drier. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, uh, they they become uh, overwhelming. You know, and this is a sipping beer. This is a high alcohol. Yeah, you're not drinking cold sixteen weather. ounces. I hope not. But right. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is you know the thing you might see uh, like uh, anchors. Old Foghorn, they they have them in the little seven or eight ounce bottles, mm-hmm. the nip bottles they call them. These are a great winter warmer beer too. I mean, especially right. now. So. Right. Yeah. This will you know be something where um, you can uh, you know sit by the fire, have a little little glass of it, and uh, you know that's plenty. Yeah. All right. When we get back, we're going to get into the actual grains that you use and the yeast and the fermentation and that whole thing. Be right back. Can you order from More Beer online at morebeer.com and receive free shipping on most orders over $59? But you can also shop in person at their two retail locations located in Concord and Riverside, California. In fact, the Concord facility has grown to over 15,000 square feet to fit all the new products, expanded showroom, and new knowledge center classroom. And now, in conjunction with the Brewing Network, More Beer is making it easier than ever to keep up on what's happening. Look for the all-new More Beer Monthly podcast at morebeer.com later in January. You'll learn about More Beer's history, sales and discounts on More Beer products, get to know team members, and hear coupon codes during the podcast to save you money. So go to morebeer.com or call 800-600-0033. That's 800-600-0033. And don't forget to check in later this month for the new More Beer Monthly Podcast, a production of the Brewing Network. This is the Jameel Show. All right, we're back. We're talking about American barley wine. Big, big, big <laughs> barley wines. Big and flavorful. Yes. And one of the tricks to making a good barley wine is you want a malt backbone that's going to carry those hops, that's going to carry that alcohol. But you don't want it to end up cloying and sweet. Uh, you know, you want it, you want some sweetness, but you don't want it cloying. You want it, you know, over the top. And one of the tricks, and I think this is mentioned in uh, uh, the barley wine style book, even uh, from the Brewers Association, is to use an English uh, pale ale malt, hmm. like and, crisp Maris Otter. Yeah, crisp Maris Otter. Uh, you know, the malt that you and I use all the time, hmm. and use that as your base. And what that can give you is a nice, uh, toasty, biscuity undertone mm-hmm. that uh, will help carry the whole thing but not be cloying. Mm. So it's a nice uh, underpinning. You can use an American pale malt. Uh, That'd be a little but it's 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 going to be a little uh, a little less of that malt backbone. Mm. And you really have... 
trouble making it up in the specialty malts when you're when you're adding that much uh, that much malt. You can do it, uh, but I prefer to go with the English pale malt. Hmm. So for a six gallon U.S. batch or twenty three liters, I'm shooting for an anticipated uh, gravity of. Uh, 1.115. Ooh. Big beer. Say that again. 1.115. Wow, we have a winner. 27 Plato. Damn. Big old bad boy. Now, you don't necessarily have to go quite that big, but. So you have like five mash tons or something? Uh, no, all this fits in my mash tun. No wow. Problem. Filled up to the top? Yeah, it's just, uh, 25 and a half pounds of grain. That's nothing. <laughs> uh, and you're gonna boil this for 120 minutes. We're gonna get a little caramelization for that. Oh. Two hours, huh? Yeah, you can huh. go ninety minutes, but uh, I wouldn't go less than ninety. You're gonna boil. Uh, you're gonna have uh, twenty-two pounds of the the pale ale malt, or about ten kilos. You're going to have a pound of crystal seventy-five or uh, 0.45 kilo, a pound of crystal twenty point four five kilo, a quarter pound of special B, which is point uh, eleven of a kilo, and twenty uh, a quarter pound of uh, pale chocolate. Hmm. Which is, uh, again, uh, 0.11 of a kilo. And then a pound of corn sugar or oh. a table sugar. Either is fine. Uh, it's about uh, 0.45 kilo. So that'll bump your gravity up, but gravity, highly fermentable. Highly fermentable, exactly. Yeah. And it'll help keep it from being too cloying. Mm-hmm. And you might even, that's only about uh, 4% sugar in this. Mm-hmm. You can go up to 10% sugar easy. Wow. Without a problem. So if you, uh, if you want yours to, to be a little drier and a little less uh, intense, hmm. you can uh, add a little more sugar. I'm, I'm surprised of uh, the malt that you use that much specialty grains. Like you would yeah, think you would just use just maris otter all the way through. You can do that. Okay, and make a make a more pale uh, version. Okay, uh, and the other thing you can do is you know you take that crystal seventy five out. And you could remove it completely and go with the others, hmm. or you could replace it with like a victory or a special roast or something like that, hmm. optionally. So, how what's the color of your barley wine like? This right. is uh, SRM is going to be around uh, eighteen to nineteen. Okay, so it's a fairly dark uh, dark beer. Wow. And uh, this is more along the lines of those, you know, intense uh, American barley wines. Now, mash temperature on this, you're going for one forty nine. And you want to mash it for at least an hour. You may want to go, uh, you know, hour and a half, uh, just to get uh, is a nice fermentable word out of this. In a very low temp because 149, 65 degrees C. You want this thing to be fermentable. Right. The the biggest mistake homebrewers make is a big cloying sweet beer. Mm-hmm. We were talking about that earlier, and it it just makes for a less drinkable barley wine. You got to have you know this thing ferment out. I think. The specialty malts that we're including in this is probably about the limit as far as the number of specialty malts I would use mm. and the amounts. So I wouldn't go more than this. You can actually back off of this and still be okay, but I wouldn't go much more than this. I think it ends up being too much. And in any beer, you want balance, and that's what makes them drinkable. Mm. So you, you probably do a two-hour sparge? Because you have so much, or an hour and a half sparge? Yeah, it still takes me, yeah, probably about an hour, 15, hour and a half. Yeah. Wow. Takes takes a little longer in something this big. Hmm. So, uh, the the one thing is, if you're adding any uh, dark roasted malts, you're going to need to show restraint on that. In this case, we're using 
you know, 1% of a pale chocolate, which is 200 lava bond in color. You know, just, just a touch, just to add a little roast, which adds to a little dryness to it and add a little uh, color to it and a little character along those lines. Don't go over, you know, two or three percent mm-hmm. of any dark roasted. It's, it becomes too much. Be too dark too, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty hard to get too dark in a barley wine. Okay. But, uh, you know, it just the flavor turns out wrong, I think. It turns out more like an imperial stout. Right. Or starts to get along those lines or an American uh, stout. As far as hops go, uh, I like to use a high alpha, clean bittering hop, something like Magnum or Horizon for the majority of, of your bittering. In this case, I have, for this recipe, I have two ounces of Magnum at 15.5% uh, alpha acid. Uh, it's a fair or, amount. Or 57 grams. Wow. Uh, for 60 minutes. And that'll give you, according to the Rager formula, 96 IBUs. Wow. Well, with that much malt for a five-gallon batch, right. you need that. Right. Right. But Uh-oh. what you what you need to plan on is that your some of your IBUs are going to drop. Aging is a big part of barley wines. Mm-hmm. So you need to start out with – it needs to be more bitter than you need when you first – after you first ferment it and you taste it, it still needs to be quite bitter. Mm-hmm. And you need to say, wow, it's, it's too bitter. Mm-hmm. And – after you've let it age for a year, then the bittering has dropped out. Quite a bit of the bittering will drop and it'll be, you know, balanced just right. If it's not bitter enough to start with, if you taste it right after you fermented it and it's like, wow, that's sweet. It's not a good sign. It's just going to get sweeter. Right. You know, unless you've got stuff in there still fermenting. Well, all beer becomes maltier in time. Right. Yeah. Right. As the, as the hop, uh, acids, uh, drop out, the bittering mm-hmm. drops out and, uh, the uh, some of the malt flavors and alcohols and stuff uh, oxidize and get that kind of sherry character to mm-hmm. them. Mm. It's going to uh, um, take on a lot more sweetness, like you say. So that's a sixty minutes, a two ounce edition of Magnum. You can use Horizons, any high alpha, clean bittering hop. At uh, flame out, I use an ounce of Chinook, an ounce and a half of Centennial, and an ounce and a half of Amarillo. Pick your f- three favorite, you know. But you're getting like ar- aromatics like no other. Yeah, one. citrusy, floral, aromatic, wow. you know, which is very common for an American barley wine. You can use something else, but these really you know, scream America hops, you know. Something mm-hmm. Graham may not be able to appreciate because of his limited ability to taste fine hops. Hops, right, right. But, you know, we in America can appreciate it. So. We appreciate Worldwide brewing, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. We're we're open to you know yeah. hops and ingredients from all over the world, right? And uh, that includes the the beautiful Yakima Valley uh, there you in go. the United States and other places where the hops are grown. Right. Are. Uh, so uh, fifty seven grams of the Magnum, uh, twenty eight grams of Chinook, uh, forty three grams of Centennial, and forty three grams of Amarillo at uh, the knockout. Chinook have what's what's the alpha acid on those? Uh, 13%. Wow. So you're So all these are double digit percentages. Wow. And uh, since they're right at, at, at flame out, if you're doing it like a whirlpool immersion chiller, you'll trap a lot of the flavor and aroma and you won't get very much bitterness from it. So are you throwing these in when you're doing your whirlpool? Yeah, right, right before I, uh, uh you know, the whirlpool would be running. Oh, okay. But right before I shut off the flame. Yeah. And, uh, turn on the water, I'll toss these in, then I'll turn on the water and shut off the flame and put the lid on. Okay. And it'll draw that down real quick and uh, it'll trap quite a bit of 
flavor moment. And again, put the lid on. Put I uh, put the lid on, okay. and and the uh, age that the barley wine needs to achieve in order for all the flavors to kind of meld and for things to come around for the alcohol to mellow out and things like that takes time. It takes some aging. You're not going to be drinking this for six months or a year. Wow. This is something to, to bottle. And if you can, make as big a batch as you can because this will age for a good three, four, five years. If your process is clean, five years from now you can be enjoying this and it will be just quite the incredible beer. Yeah. You know, in a year it will be really good. Two years it will be better. Three years I bet you it's at its peak. Mm. You know, four or five will be pretty good too. So mm. you want to brew enough that it's it's great. Don't drink it too early. Um, and it and it really ages well. Do you think when a barley wine ages and there's some oxidation that occurs, like around year two or three, that that might contribute to some flavors that you want in a barley wine? Yes, I think you know there's some micro uh, oxidation that mm-hmm. will happen even in the best controlled uh, circumstances, mm-hmm. and you want some of that. You want I wouldn't intentionally introduce any oxygen, but the alcohols and the ester, the alcohols will become esters, and the uh, some of the other compounds in there, the, the the sugars will oxidize. You get some sherry notes from the alcohols and, and the sugars, and uh, some of the malt flavors will, will change. Mm-hmm. The hop aromas and flavors will subdue a bit, and uh, the IBUs will drop a bit, and all these things will take place over time. Mm-hmm. But that, yeah, that aging and those, those characters really give it uh, a little bit of a wine-like character. Right. And, you know, it's... Uh, the, the sherry or wine-like characters um, really uh, add to the overall perception. In the finest examples, you're going to find some of that. And then that's desirable to be to style to have that. You think if you were to submit this to a competition or just for your own personal consumption, would you wait for that? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. The the best barley wines are the ones that have some age on them. Mm. When they're too young, if if you want a barley wine you can drink when it's young, you need to make it much smaller, mm-hmm. and you need to have that thing. You know, you're you're looking in the maybe ten seventies, ten eighty range for mm. lower alcohol. You go with uh, something like an English barley wine. Mm. Those those can be consumed fairly early, but uh, all all. All of the bigger beers really do. Real, real big beers tend to improve with age. I think. What about your yeast strain? What type of yeast do you use? On this, good old Cal Ale uh, or ten fifty six. It's clean, clean, and it attenuates well. Mm-hmm. You know, it has the power to drive the sugars down. You can use oh, just about any yeast will get you to fifteen percent alcohol. And that's way more than what the alcohol you'll have in this beer. Where'd yours finish at from the 1.12, whatever you're at? Um, you know, you'll get down into the 20s, uh, around 30. Wow. And the, the, the thing about this is any of these yeasts will, will get you down there to that, will go to that percentage of alcohol. You don't have to worry about, don't use champagne yeast. Hmm. Don't use wine yeast. Don't use any of those yeasts. You don't need them. What you need is a proper amount of clean, healthy ale yeast. And to get the best beer flavor, you're going to use a beer yeast, not a champagne yeast. That's going to, that's the wrong flavors. They're going to dry it out too Hmm. much. You just need to make sure you have healthy yeast. The problem a lot of times is people will brew um, a bunch of different beers and they will 
repitch that yeast multiple times, but they've gone from uh, you know a uh, some l- low alcohol beer to you know a pale ale, and then they've done an IPA, and then they've done a double IPA, and they're, they're putting all this uh, these hop acids are coating the yeast, and there's stress from the alcohol in the, mm-hmm. in the beer. Anything over five percent is really harmful to the yeast. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to make a barley wine and you want to repitch the yeast, which is a good idea, right? You need to take the yeast from a, a smaller batch, not you know a, a Russian bit. Imperial right. Stout at ten ninety, <laughs> or a you know a double IPA at yeah. you know ten eighty something. You want to take it from you know your average pale ale at ten fifty something. So you're just getting those guys prepped for the big time. Right, yeah. and you know, make yourself ten gallons. If, if five gallons isn't producing enough yeast for you, make yourself ten gallons of pale ale, mm. or you know, brown ale, or whatever, something around the ten fifty range, and then use that yeast. And make sure that when you treat that yeast before, when it goes in that pale ale, that's got plenty of oxygen, it's got the appropriate nutrients, that mm. you're treating it right. Mm-hmm. And before you pitch it into the barley wine. You know, wake it up in a starter, give it plenty of oxygen, let that thing, that yeast get, get healthy, get kicking, and then, you know, add it in there. Would you, are you, would you use the whole cake on the bottom of your carboy? Just, could you do that, or would you do secondary yeast, or? Yeah, you want to use the appropriate amount. Oh, right, because you don't um, overpitch. But, you know, from a 1050 some odd beer, it's pretty much usually just about the whole cake. Wow. Okay. You know, to, to a beer this big. Okay. Because this is double the gravity. Right. So, uh, you know, you get pretty close to, to needing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do too much because you'll lose some of your character of the, of the beer. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do too little either. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go too much than too little on this, on this kind of beer. Cause again, what's the most common problem that, you know, people are having? Under pitching. Yeah. And, and a too sweet a beer and you'll, you won't get enough attention. Your calculator is great, by the way. Why? Thank you. I use it. It's awesome. Uh, MrMulti.com. Yeah. Yeah. There's a free, uh, pitching rate calculator you can find there. Mm. All right, so you can overhop a barley wine. You can. You can. Over, although this is this is like uh, you maxed out the IBUs in that one. Yeah, this is this is. Uh, it, believe it or not, this is not overdoing it, in, in something this big. Explain. Yeah. This is this is to the limits on, especially grains, hops, things like that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't go much more than this, on any of those those counts. This is is you know I. I wanted to present you know about the biggest around that you could do and anything else you're going to do you probably want to back, back off, off of these yeah. but this will this will make quite a beer and uh you know give it a, give it a shot along these lines but you know you can't just throw in an unlimited amount of hops right and you almost can on a double ipa imperial ipa the reason being you're using a Far less malt character in there, mm-hmm. and you're you can allow the hops to to, to become almost cloying. Mm-hmm. If you end up with cloying hops and cloying malt, you know they, you don't want it cloying, but yeah. you know that character. Yeah, and you add those together, and it's just way too much. Yeah, and it becomes almost undrinkable. Balance. Yeah, yeah. and you need to you need to show some restraint here right. and there. So this is pushing the restraint envelope because. You're living on the edge, Jamil. Well, I thought people would be disappointed if we didn't have a really big American barley wine. When was the last time you brewed this? Uh, this is a couple of years ago. Nice. You still have it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I still have it. Can I have some? <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Maybe. How we okay. doing? Good? 
Uh, let's take a uh, take a short break, yeah. and then uh, when we get back, we will get into uh, aging and uh, you know how to handle this and, and fermentation and how to drink it and how to drink it. Right. All right, we're back. We're talking about American barley wine for our first show of 2007. And uh, one thing I want to mention about the high alpha hops, one of the reasons you want to use a high alpha hop is that if you don't, you need so many IBUs, you can have with this giant hop mass in your in your kettle, right? And it's going to soak soak up all that precious uh, wort that you're that you're working and on. More beer, the better, right? Right. So uh, that's one of the reasons you use a high uh, high alpha hop for that. Reduce your hop mass. And for fermentation temp, start out around uh, you know sixty-seven Fahrenheit, seventy uh, sixty-seven Fahrenheit to nineteen degrees C. Mm-hmm. Uh, around there, maybe a little lower, and, and work up to there. And then towards the end of fermentation, you're going to go to seventy Fahrenheit or twenty-one degrees C. You need to ramp up towards the end. Fast Uh That and also you know it keeps those yeast at, uh, attenuating. If you mm. want to get this down, you're going to have to. Uh, Really go with uh, the warmer temp at the end. You don't want to start out there because you're going to end up with a really hot, salty alcohol. It's important to control the temperature on this fermentation. Is there a, a gravity like that you're looking at where you want to, like, if you're 80 percent attenuated, would you start to ramp it up and your or 60 percent attenuated? You know what I mean? You need to channel the yeast whisperer in your in yourself. Oh, I can hear the whisper. <laughs> But not the crazy voices in your head that are telling you to do strange things, John. Yeah. The the yeast voices in your the head that are telling you that the, the yeast are slowing down. Mm. So what uh, I tend to do is look at it. It's going to take a couple of weeks to ferment this thing out. But usually after the first week or so, you see – you can you just keep an eye on the bubble rate and the, the amount of croissant on top. Mm. And when you see that it's starting to slow down – Ramp, start ramping the temperature. Mm-hmm. Add another degree, and it seems to be slowing down. Add another degree, add another degree, get yourself up, you know, eventually to 70 degrees or uh, 21 degrees C. And, uh, you know, just to, you're trying to eke out as much attenuation as you can. And huh. when the yeast, you know, stay warmer, they're going to attenuate more. Well, how long would you hold it at 70 degrees? I'd let it go, uh, you know, at least a week. Okay. So, you know, it's going to take a couple of weeks to ferment. Right. And then this is one of the few beers that, yeah, you can go ahead and rack it off uh, primary to secondary. Okay. Because, yeah, it'll add a little oxygen, but um, what's going to happen is you need this to stay with some of the yeast for quite a bit of time. So after the first couple of weeks and when, you know, the the initial, when the yeast starts falling out, you can go ahead and rack it over to a secondary container and let it uh, set on with the remaining yeast uh, for a while. It wouldn't hurt, though, to leave it in a primary for three or four weeks, right? Yeah, it'd be all right. I mean, uh, just let it clear up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you know, the, the yeast are going to be really stressed at this point, right. and, and they're so a lot closer to dying. Uh, yeah, so okay. this is this is one of the cases where, yeah, you really, it's it's probably a good idea. Okay. One of the few cases I would I would advocate that. Hmm. But, you know, you can you can go for a while before you do that. 
And then, uh, you know, it's going to take some time to age. i got some questions from the chat for you. Okay. Uh, have you ever done a 180-minute boil? And that's a good question. I mean, could you boil for three hours? Uh, you can. The, the thing is, uh, they say that, you know, watch uh, your hop uh, bittering and all that. Mm-hmm. If you uh, put your bittering hops in early, you don't want – you want to always put your hops in at the last, you know, 60 minutes okay. of the boil. So you're doing you it two hours your- on yours. Right. And so you're adding yours last 60. Yeah. Okay. So if you're going to do a three-hour boil, wait two hours, then throw in the, the... If you do three hours, you're going to end up with a lot more caramelization as well, or, you know, those melanoid and caramelization type of things, especially with some of the sugars that will caramelize at a lower temperature. Uh-huh. And it may be too much. Right. I mean, two hours, I think, is more than enough. Right. And, you know, especially with this level of specialty grains. And do you compensate for how much wort you're getting into your boil kettle because you're going to be boiling longer? Yeah, you have to. You have to adjust your initial uh, pre-boil wort size and uh, gravity. So you, like, end up with eight gallons. Yeah, you'll end up with more. Boil off two or something. Right, right. Okay. Right, right. Uh, Let's see. Fermentation... The Cal Ale strain, how much is fermented out roughly from a 1.12 with, if you're pitch healthy? You can, you can get into the upper 70s in attenuation. So you can get down to, you know, 30 or, or a little less. Hmm. And the keys to it are that, uh, you have some simple fermentable sugars in there. So you gotta use, uh, corn sugar, table sugar, something like that. You have to use a very low mash temperature and let it sit there for, a minimum of an hour, and you might go hour and a half or two hours mm. at 149, and let that thing, let the, the enzymes break down those those sugars and the starches into uh, the simpler sugars, and then you can get some good attenuation. And again, like you're saying, John, uh, healthy yeast, proper amount of yeast, plenty of oxygen. Some people, when they do a big beer like this, mm-hmm. they'll do a dose of oxygen to start, and I think you do this. Mm-hmm. Is you do a dose of oxygen to start, and then uh, a few yeah, hours yeah. in, you'll you'll add another dose of oxygen. Until and, uh, until I see active fermentation, I won't do it. Yeah, yeah. And and what's happening is the yeast will suck up that oxygen really quick. Mm-hmm. They use it to make their cell membranes more pliable, and then uh, when because they need that, and when they replicate, they they take. You know, half of their membrane and they give it to the daughter cell mm-hmm. or a portion of their membrane, give it to the daughter cell. And, uh, they end up with a scar and a less pliable membrane. And so they need more oxygen to make the sterols, to make the membranes pliant and, and do all this. You've got to take care of them, you know? Right. So yeah. that's why you give them the oxygen right. to start with and the other nutrients that they need. After they've, uh, uh replicated a certain mm-hmm. amount, um, if you don't have the right amount of yeast, if you give them more oxygen, they will go ahead and reproduce some more. Mm-hmm given the right conditions. So that's why uh, people do that. If you're pitch enough yeast to start with, it uh, may not be a, an issue. Um, we had talked about the mash tun. Do you want a thin or a thick mash? Especially with this type of beer, I mean. Well, I, I go with a, a standard uh, size uh, or a sta- standard thickness of 1.3. Uh, oh, you do uh, 1.3 quarts per pound? Yes. Okay. That's my general thing, just because it works well in a recirculating system. That's a pretty thin mash. Yeah, it work, works fairly well in a, well, anything, you know, uh, one is kind of, kind of thick, one to one, and, and two is considered thin. Right. Uh, it works well in my recirculating system. The, the thicker the mash, the more dextrinous the resulting sugars are going to be. So and, your efficiency goes down? 
Uh, not necessarily, but the resulting sugars, it favors the longer chain sugars. Okay. The thicker mash. However, the difference, I think, between like, you know, going one quart per pound or two quarts per pound, the difference between the two is maybe a 5% change in the uh, type of dextrins, mm-hmm. the, those type of sugars you get, the longer chain or the shorter chain. I read that somewhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the, the difference is not huge. You can pretty much go anywhere in there, and that's all right. You know, uh, you know some some types will be uh, more. Uh, you'll you'll get better efficiency. You know, certain things. Whatever your system allows, I would just go with that. Right. I wouldn't worry about that. That's not one of the factors that's really as important hmm. as all the other factors that you're dealing with. Right. The fermentation thing. probably more important than that. Yeah, yeah, and you know the ferment uh, mash temperature mm-hmm. means a lot more to the fermentability than uh, mash thickness. As regards to fermentation, what temp are you usually aging uh, your barley wine at? A cellar and in fermentation. We'll see. Sixty-eight degrees primary. Do you, do you ever right. lager it or? So it'll it'll get up to uh, you know seventy degrees yeah. during the fermentation, and. I'll let it sit there for a while until all the activity. You want to make sure that the diacetyl gets uh, converted back and the acetaldehyde gets uh, uh, taken up and converted to alcohol, things like that, things that <clears throat> the yeast need to do mm-hmm. over time. You need to make sure that you've got enough uh, uh, warmth and uh, yeast to make that happen. So it finishes. Sure. Right. <coughs> Pardon me. I just gave you my cold. <laughs> yeah. I should have brought the biohazard Woo-hoo, suit. Party. <laughs> biohazard suit. <clears throat> Do you own a biohazard suit? No comment. Okay. <clears throat> um, so, after that, though, I'll, I'll go ahead and I keg it up and throw it in the fridge and I let it age in the fridge. Hmm. Now, you, you can, yeah, if you're gonna, if you're giving aging time, you want it to age faster, you, you need it to be warmer. Hmm. But I would not let it age warmer than 50 degrees max. You want to keep it on the cooler side. Mm-hmm. Hot aging is, I don't think, a good thing for beer. Well, what if, what if someone bottle conditions it? Uh, bottle conditioning until you get it carbonated. You, right. But after that, you want to store them cold. 50 or less. Okay. Because yeah. cold just <clears throat> keeps beer stored. I mean, right. it preserves the lifespan of the beer anyways. And one thing about aging... And the development of the flavors and the alcohols and things like that mm-hmm. is the variation in temperature actually plays a part in how uh, aging occurs. And they do this in wine mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, everyone's thinking, well, you know, you want this perfectly stable temperature and humidity and all this. If you get it too stable, it, it actually retards the aging process. Really? Yeah, and the development. So. Huh. You want to swing, even if it's like a half a degree, yeah. you know, up and down, up and down, up and down over time. Right. It actually helps with that process. Well, I guess you wouldn't it's be aging little, if, yeah. if you, right. you know, had a perfect. Yeah, perfectly static. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that actually helps. So a little swing in temperature is okay. I wouldn't have wild swings in temperature. You don't want to get down to like 30 and up to 60, and that really messes with a beer. Mm-hmm. But a, a swing in a, in a small range is, is okay. Okay. Again, below 50, I think, for longer term aging. I, I have more patience and I will put things in, you know, uh, upper 30s, low 40s, and just let it sit for a couple of years. And I'll right. come back to it and go, oh, you know, it's perfect. <laughs> it's been a couple of years. Time to take another taste. Yeah. And, you know, see how it goes. Hmm. 
Do you ever use your second runnings from your mash tun at all, or? I tend not to. You could though, right? I mean, I could um, make like a light ale or some sort. Yeah, and anybody can. Anybody can. Yeah, you, all you do is uh, what they're talking about is you've run your mash out. You've got you've done your barley wine, and all your grains are still there. You add more hot water to the uh, uh, mash. You can recirculate it again, and then uh, run it out into your kettle. You know, batch sparge, or you can uh, even fly sparge again, hmm. and. That'll give you a wort of whatever gravity. There's a way to calculate what gravity will give you and everything after mm-hmm. that. And pitch whatever, put, use whatever appropriate hops and pitch whatever. It's going to be lower gravity than the first one. Right. The thing I, the reason I don't do it is that it's not going to be the ideal recipe for a specific beer that I want to brew. You just, it would just be beer of, you know, some like a weaker barley wine type right. of beer. Huh. And that's fine, but, you know, I'm not brewing for alcohol's sake. I'm brewing right. to brew a specific Style. beer, right? And to to end up with a, a very unique product that you know, very specific to what my goals are, right? But if you wanted some lawnmower beer for your buddies and you made yeah. this killer bottle, yeah, wine. if it was just something to yeah. you know pour down Justin, I would. Uh, that's that's fun. Yeah, I'd go ahead and do it. Cool. No big deal. What about an extract batch? I mean, I brewed one and I used for t- five gallons. I used 21 pounds of extract. Holy smokes. Yeah. 21 pounds extra. It was, a, it was original gravity 1.12. One one ish. Yeah. 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 It only uh, got down to 30 though. For this, you can replace the, uh, the English, uh, pale malt with, um, 16 pounds of, uh, or seven and a quarter kilograms of a, uh, liquid malt extract. How much did you do? 15? 16. 16 pounds. pounds? Yeah. Or, uh, seven and a quarter kilograms. That's weak. Weak. <laughs> That should get you. That should get you to that same one point one one five. Looks like we have a caller. Uh oh. Oh. We found out we're here. Hello. Hey guys. Hey. It's Push. Hey Push. Hey, Bush. All right, I got our a caller. Push it, Jack. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> we should say it's it's our caller. Our one caller. It, 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 that's true. The isn't one it? guy who yeah. calls. Yeah. Yeah. Is everyone afraid of calling into this show or I, something? I guess so. They're too busy listening to the pearls of, of wisdom that, coming at them. <laughs> so, so am I interrupting those pearls with little like dingleberries? Ooh. Yes. Yes. Okay. What What is your dingleberry for today? <laughs> I think I know the answer to this, but I think I'm going to have to hear it from you guys. Um, two years ago. I brewed a barley wine, threw it on top of a WLP-001 cake, and it took off like crazy. Looked like a real good ferment, and I don't have my brewing notes in front of me here at work, but it seemed like all went really well, and I ended up bottling it with some priming sugar. And last night, in preparation for today's show, I tried one. And it is... The FG was like... It started out at 11.10, finished at... 1032, I believe. And, uh, it has no carbonation. Nothing happened in the bottle. Hmm. It just tastes flat and a little sweet. Yeah, you know, when you, when you do a, a beer like this, a lot of times you've got to repitch your yeast if you're in a bottle condition. Right. Because most of it's died. Yeah, you gotta get some, because the high alcohol kills the yeast. Anything over 5% is toxic to yeast. Yeah. And they're so exhausted by the end of that that uh, you really need to pitch fresh yeast a lot of times. And it, it took a long time to ferment. You let it sit and clear before you bottled it. Mm. So sometimes you need to do that. You need to get it warmer. Uh, you, and you added some priming sugar, right? Yep. 
Yeah. So there was there were simple sugars there to use. It's just uh, you know that's part of the problem. I really don't like bottle conditioning barley wines for the simple fact that this is something you're going to age for several years. And if you want to have this five years down the road, the yeast that is in there, the majority of it will be dead in several years. And it's going to contribute some flavor. A little bit of that can be interesting in the beer. Yeah. But generally it ends up to be, because you're not filtering it and then adding a controlled amount back. Right. It tends to be a little bit too much, I think. So that's why I like to keg them. I let them age in the keg for a year or two, and then I counter-pressure fill the bottles, and right. you get a lot more control. But for folks who don't have that, I think you need to repitch some fresh yeast. Mm-hmm. You need to uh, add a simple sugar. Don't use uh, DME or anything like that to bottle condition. Just corn sugar or something. Yeah, corn sugar, table sugar is fine. And uh, you know, store them warm to, to get those things carbonated. So I, I'm guessing that the answer is toss this batch. No, I, no, no, no. Really? No. What should I do? Do you, do you see any yeast in the bottom at all? Yes. The bottle that I that I tried last night definitely had some some sludge in the bottom. Do an oh. experiment. Yeah. He, heat it up to 80 degrees. Take one bottle. Swirl yeah. all that up. Swirl back in up. suspension. Yeah. And warm it up. Leave it at 85 degrees for three days. Or a week. Or a week. Right. And then really? just see how yeah. carbonated it is. See what happens. Okay, okay, because I would say that the the CO two volume in there yeah. now is pretty much zero. Yeah, go, go, do it at eighty degrees. Don't don't go to eighty five because that really actually bogs down some yeasts. Oh, okay. Uh, eighty eighty is about right. Yeah, try. It. And okay, uh, yeah, just uh, just hold it at that temperature. You know, put it in your shorts and walk around with it for. Uh, <laughs> my shorts are for two way weeks. over eighty, my Whoa, friend. That's hot. <laughs> uh, is there any? Is there any argument for trying to uncap them, pour them into a keg, and carbonate it, force carbonate it in a keg? Nah, I think you end up with so much oxygen. Yeah. <coughs> you know. All right, boys. But if you're going to do that, then make sure you let all the yeast kind of flock out, too. Thanks oh, for okay. the call, Push. But, uh, yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, you've Good given question. me hope. Don't well, throw it away. That dude. wasn't our intention. <laughs> Don't throw it away. Keep the pearls coming. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll keep the dingleberries coming. There you go. All right. Guy, see you Thanks, man. All right. 2007. Okay. Well, uh, that was a good show. Yeah, not bad. All right. Up next yeah. is a replay of uh, last night's Sunday show, which was about, all about uh, fermentables in your in your beer. And the next Jamel show in two weeks is on Flanders Red on the uh, 29th of January. Mm-hmm. The funky red stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That'll be a good show. See you then. All right. Bruce Strong. Jamil Show has been a production of the Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jamil to Jamil at thebrewingnetwork.com. The Jamil Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Brewing Network.